about a topic that maybe you've never heard or preached before. I've been in uh, Baptist churches uh, since since infancy, and I can not remember a, a message uh, pertaining to this topic as far as uh, being an elder-led congregation. And uh, so I think this is going to be enlightening to all of us this morning. I just want you to know that uh, as I share this morning that uh, I'm gleaning from a couple resources, um, plus the Word of God, obviously. But uh, one of the resources that I'm gleaning from is a message that was uh, preached by John or Paul Burleson. He's the pastor of um, Trinity Baptist in Norman, Oklahoma. And also a book that uh, I've worked through. Benjamin Merkel is the author. And the title of the book is uh, 40 Questions and Answers Regarding Elders and Deacons. Uh, Professor Merkel is a professor of Malaysia Baptist Theological Seminary. And he has his doctor's degree from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky and has written on this subject. His book is, has been very helpful. But uh, I'll be talking about how a church, how a church is to be led um, by elders uh, both this week and two weeks uh, from now. Uh, last week, Jeff uh, talked to you about uh, the qualifications uh, required for the two, two offices of the church, elders and, and deacons. Um, these offices are not to be filled by any Tom, Dick, or Harry, uh, but there are specific spiritual qualifications necessary for these uh, offices. And the reason why is because the church is a divine institution. It's not... Our, our, our church is not to be based on a secular business model. It's to be based and led um, from the Word of God. And so that's what I'm going to be drawing out this morning. As you look at your outline, you can see I have a lot of information to cover. And I'm not sure we're going to get through all of it this morning. And uh, so this is a, a two-part message um, as we talk about this issue. But as we begin this morning, I'd like for you to turn to Exodus chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 13 through uh, 23. Scripture says this, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people... He said, what is, the, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that, that they, every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide among themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure in all this people, and also will go to their place in peace. I know that this is uh, an Old Testament text, and we're going to be looking at a great deal of the New Testament this morning as we uh, talk about uh, uh, elders in the church, but... um, The point of this passage is that leadership is not to be done alone. There needs to be a plurality. There needs to be a team of leaders leading the people. You know, and even if when you look at secular organizations, there are boards, there are cabinets, there are advisors that surround a leader and help carry the load. And help advise in decisions, important decisions that need to be made. And the church is no different. Um, yet, in the Southern Baptist tradition and Southern Baptist governance, uh, for many years now, probably about 50 or more years, it has been the, the senior pastor uh, who has led the local congregation. Uh, now, he may be privileged have the opportunity to, to have a team of pastors around him, uh, paid professionals, paid staff, and they have become what is considered in Southern Baptist circles the elders of the church. But that was not the case uh, from the beginning of our convention. In 1845. And uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. But what we are considering, we put together an ad hoc team, uh, probably early April, late March. And we began to look at our bylaws and consider the matter of becoming an elder-led uh, congregation. And a couple weeks ago, we... We uh, produced, uh, we printed out the bylaws that uh, we are bringing before the church to... Um, to go to this type of uh, governance. And so the proposal uh, that we are considering as a church is this. To be, uh, we are considering a biblical model of elder-led congregational form of church governance. An elder-led congregational model or form of church governance. And... When are we going to be making this decision? Well, um, we don't have anything in concrete uh, at this moment. It's going to be based upon next week's um, uh, business meeting. 
uh, that we're going to have at 5 o'clock, and I want to encourage you to come to that meeting. If you don't have a copy of the bylaws, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy as you leave uh, this morning. You can find it on our church website as well. But we want to um, answer any question people might have uh, regarding our, our proposed bylaws. And uh, based on next Sunday's meeting, we may need to have another business meeting before we ultimately decide on uh, these new uh, documents for our church. But uh, I want to talk briefly about four different forms of government today that uh, we're all kind of familiar with, but maybe wondering, well, how did these different forms of government come about? Okay, The first form of government is uh, known as Episcopal government. It comes from the Greek word episcopus, uh, which means bishop or overseer. And uh, churches and denominations that uh, operate under this form of government would be Episcopalians, Anglicans, uh, Roman Catholics, and some Lutheran uh, churches. And what this means in an Episcopal form of government is that the authority, the decision makers of the church reside in the office of bishop. And this office of bishop is outside the local church. All right. It's, the local church does not make the decisions for that congregation. It's the bishop, it's the authority outside the church that is making the decisions. And bishops uh, choose who the pastors or priests will be for local congregations. And it's very much uh, a top-down model of uh, leadership, of governance. All right, and uh, again, as I share about these four forms of governance, these are very simplistic overviews. All right, but uh, probably when it comes to the Episcopal form of church government, uh, the most detailed form would be the Roman Catholic Church. Not only are there bishops, but there's archbishops, and there is the Pope, who has uh, ultimate authority in in the Catholic Church. So that's the Episcopal. And again, it comes from the Greek word episkopos, where we get our word uh, bishop or overseer. The second form of government is that of Presbyterian. Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros. And that, that means elder. Okay, and the Presbyterian form of government obviously is the Presbyterians. Uh, And uh, in this form of uh, government, it it is led by elders uh, within the church. And it's the elders who have the authority in the Presbyterian church. Now, these Elders are comprised of both the, the teaching elders and also ruling elders. So there's, they distinguish between the elder office. But again, um, the authority of the church does not reside in the congregation. It resides among the elders in the Presbyterian church. And uh, there may be a, uh, an assembly 
of uh, leadership outside the Presbyterian Church who who calls um, who ordains the the pastors, but it's the elders within that church who decide who uh, their ultimate teacher leader is going to be. Um, but uh, each church is um, so. So that's a little bit about the Presbyterian Church. The third form of government is the congregational uh, form of government, and uh, it's a local democratic church government. And churches that uh, are uh, have this form of government would be your independent Bible churches, uh, Baptist churches, uh, most Lutheran churches. And uh, in congregational-led churches or form of government, final authority doesn't rest with the bishop or the overseer or the elders, but final authority rests with the local assembly of believers. And how we come to this form of congregational government is based upon the priesthood of every believer. Okay, that uh, we all are containers of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is able to lead each person, part of that congregation, in in determining uh, God's will corporately for that church. And so each church is autonomous. Okay, they don't answer to any authority outside that congregation. Uh, there isn't a small group within that congregation, elders making all the decisions. Elders are coming together, praying, uh, considering decision matters about the church that they bring back to the church for affirmation, for approval. But it's the congregation itself that has the ultimate authority, and, and we are a congregationally governed church here at Emmanuel. And then the fourth form of government is uh, rather non-governmental. Uh, they have minimal organizational structure. Um, they have a tendency of believing that uh, structure has a has a tendency of quenching the Holy Spirit, and they want to really be led by the Holy Spirit. There may be an elder, there's a pastor, senior pastor of the church, but uh, it's members of the ch- church uh, led by the Holy Spirit who have the opportunity to speak um, in the congregation. Um, and again, that is a non-governmental type of uh, governance. Now, why is an elder-led congregational model being proposed here at Emmanuel? The reason why it's being proposed is that we believe, I believe, that God's original, this was God's original design for the New Testament church. Now, you're not going to go anywhere in the New Testament and you're not going to find a verse verbatim that uh, the church will be led by elders and this is the way they're selected. But as you read the narrative of the New Testament, you get the idea, you, you, get the under, you find the understanding that the church was led by a plurality of elders. It wasn't led by one single senior pastor 
who was the CEO of the church. When Paul established churches, uh, the Bible is clear that he, he selected elders for that church. And, and there are a host of verses that I want to share with you this morning that's in your outline. But I want you to notice the plurality of elders in the following text. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts twenty seventeen. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I really like that verse. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 1, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. That the, So that's just a taste of uh, many verses regarding elders, the plurality of elders, a, a team, a team of godly men who are to lead that local congregation. Now, you might be asking, well, what, what about uh, the pastors of the church or the, the senior pastor? Where do we get that title? Well, that's a good question. Because there is one verse in the Bible that talks about shepherds, uh, pastors, teachers, uh, of the gifts that God has given to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. But that is the only place where shepherds or pastors are mentioned in the New Testament. Every other place in the New Testament talks about, speaks of a plurality of elders leading the church. And and the gifts pertaining to uh, the shepherd are the same gifts that pertain to the bishop, overseer, and elders of the church. All right? So... You might be asking, well, where did we go wrong as Southern Baptists? You know, if elders, if a plurality of elders are to be leading the church, um, why aren't we doing that? Well, we were in the beginning. Our convention um, got started in 1845. And the first president of our convention was William Bulletin Johnson. How would you like to have the name Bulletin um, in your name? Perfect for our Baptist church. But uh, he uh, addressed the convention in 1846. And this was a portion of uh, his speech in the convention. said this, In review of these scriptures, we have these points clearly made. One, that over each church in the New Testament era, a plurality of elders was ordained who were designated by the terms elders, bishops, overseer, pastor, 
with the authority of the government of the flock of God. Second, this authority involved no legislative power, but was ministerial and executive, and in its exercise, uh, and in its exercise, the rulers were not to lord it over, but to be an example to lead the flock in the performance of ministry. Third, that the duties of these rulers consisted in taking heed. Um, generally to themselves and to the flock and to watch for their souls. Fourth, while all were elders, some labored in word and doctrine and in preaching to the people. Fifth, that great responsibility rested upon these elders, for they watched for the souls of their flock. Sixth, these elders were equal in rank and authority, no one having a preeminence over the rest. This satisfactorily appears, in fact, from the same qualifications that were required of all. Seven, these elders, pastors, bishops, overseers were made so by the Holy Spirit, recognized by the congregation, and charged by them. Eight, that the members of the flock were required to follow, imitate the faith of the elders. So this was uh, from the first president of our Southern Baptist Convention. If you go to the website, you can find um, the Confessions of Our Faith. That's what it was known by in 1925. It was changed to the Baptist Faith and Message in 1963 and continued so in, in the year 2000. But uh, you can find um, our Baptist Faith and Message statements through through the last uh, millennium or the last century, uh, a comparison uh, in the handout that you have this morning. But uh, in 1925, Article 7, this is what it said about the, the, the office, the, the church officers in 1923. It said this, its scriptural officers are bishops and elders and deacons. That was 1923. Then the Baptist faith and message in 1963 in the year 2000, it changed. Um, this is what it said in these two documents. It only recognized the offices of pastor and deacons. In 1963, in the year 2000, says this, This church is an autonomous body operating through democratic processes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In such, con- in a, such a congregation, members are equally responsible. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. So that's a change from 1923 to 1963. Why did Southern Baptists change? Uh, Why did Southern Baptists move away from elder governance? I want to propose three reasons this morning. One was probably to the the Western migration of Southern Baptists in the 1800s. When uh, Southern Baptists were moving out west, when the west was growing, uh, 
an elder from a congregation in the south would, would come out west and uh, he would become the pastor of a small church. And there probably wasn't a lot of qualified leadership uh, in that church. And that pastor became the, the single leader of a, a small congregation. But not only did he have that congregation, but he was most likely, likely a circuit preacher. And he had multiple congregations that he was speaking to on a weekend. And there just wasn't a lot of mature leadership uh, in those young churches um, when Southern Baptists were moving out here west. Another influence in our Southern Baptist Convention was the Campbellite uh, movement uh, of the 1800s. Now, the Campbellites are now known as the Church of Christ today. But there was a big um, division, conflict, in our Southern Baptist Convention over the Campbellite movement. And Campbellites were very big on elder-led leadership. And uh, the Campbellites believed that there should be no paid professionals in the church. It should all be led by uh, laity who would be recognized as elders uh, of the church. And, and there were some other heretical teachings uh, there uh, concerning baptism, that a person truly wasn't saved unless they were um, uh, immersed in water. That was part of the salvation experience. Um, but uh, it had a very negative impact on our convention. Not only was the Campbellite uh, movement, um, did it impact, but also the landmark movement. And you can look up both of these uh, on the Internet today. But the, the landmark movement was, um, was a kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the um, uh, Campbellite. The landmark movement was a knee-jerk reaction to the Campbellite movement. And the landmark movement uh, decided that there was to be no hierarchical, no outside authority from the local church. And the church wasn't to be led by elders. It was to be led by a pastor. So, uh, and this had, there was, there was a lot of conflict over the landmark uh, movement as well because they didn't recognize the foreign mission board. They thought that uh, the local church should be appointing uh, their own missionaries to be sent out and that that not be authorized from some institution um, outside the local church. And so they didn't recognize bishops or overseers or elders. The church was going to be led by the pastor. And so both these movements, even though not, not all the Southern Baptist churches got caught up in these movements, there was definitely an influence in congregations to gravitate to one or the other. And so... Today, um, many Southern Baptist churches don't recognize elder leadership. They're led by uh, the senior pastor of the church or uh, the, the staff, the pastors of uh, the church. 
but um, and they're considered the elders. But I want to propose today that uh, there are some gifted, qualified, called out men in our congregation who have the capability to be elders of our church. And uh, we're not ready to, those names have not been selected yet. There's going to be conversation regarding who those men are. But it's time that we recognize these men and allow these men to help lead um, our church. Because uh, this is the biblical model of New Testament uh, leadership. Now, the next question is, what about the bishop and overseer? And I don't have time to go into this in great detail this morning. But let me just say this, suffice this to say, that bishop and overseer is equivalent to elder in the New Testament church. Okay, there's there's not a hierarchy of leaders um, beyond what we know as elders today. As you look at the New Testament, uh, Paul uses overseer, bishop, and elder interchangeably. They're all one office. And I'll go into more detail about that in two weeks. But uh, just understand that there are two offices in the church. Elder, deacon. Elders are, uh, and what distinguishes elder from, from deacon is that the elder are to be good managers of their, their families uh, because, as they, because they have to manage the church. And also, they have to be able to teach. Those are the two requirements that are beyond the office of deacon. All right? And so we'll go into that next week. But, but to finish up this morning's message, I want to talk about the practical side of going to an elder-led congregational form of church governance. I want to give you four reasons. First is accountability. Second is balance. Uh, third is burden sharing. And fourth is multiple eyes, ears, and hearts. Let me talk about accountability for a second. When there's a plurality of elders leading the church, there's there's greater ability to protect one pastor, one elder from error. Um, it, it helps keep that person in check. Now, um, in some churches, senior pastors can be given a great deal of authority. And there's no one there to keep that person in check. Now, that isn't the case here at Emmanuel. Okay, here in Emmanuel, we have accountability. We have a finance committee, we have a personnel committee, and we have the congregation, you, you all, that you are the ultimate authority of our church. But uh, a plurality of elders keeps one person um, from dominating 
uh, the church and the decisions of the church. Believe it or not, I have blind spots. I have faults. I have deficiencies. And that has a tendency of distorting my judgment. But if I had a group of godly men around me helping me make the necessary calls, uh, that gives me more eyes, uh, a greater understanding of the life of our congregation. Um, It helps me, it helps us to make better decisions. Then there's balance. I only have a certain number of gifts. And I don't have all the gifts necessary in leading this church. And with a plurality of elders, it gives us a greater opportunity uh, for decisions that need to be made, gifts that God gives to the church in leading the church. It creates... Uh, better balance. And uh, a plurality of elders can make up for the weaknesses that I have as your senior pastor. The third thing is burden bearing. Burden sharing. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says that two are better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Church, ministry is not easy. Being the pastor of a church can be very taxing. And when you add to it a child development center and an Emmanuel Christian school, it becomes even more burdensome. And I don't have to tell you about the, the, the crisis that is going on at Emmanuel Christian School. And this isn't my first rodeo with that with this crisis. There have been several occasions where ICS has struggled. Had there been a plurality of elders all along the way, maybe we could have avoided some of those uh, crises that we've encountered. Um, But a plurality of elders helps share, bear the burden um, with what comes along with ministry. You know my personality. Uh, My giftedness is, is being a shepherd, being a caring pastor. And uh, one of the weaknesses about my personality is I have a tendency of avoiding conflict. And, you know, there, there have been some difficult situations in our church over the years where it has required church discipline. And I am the first to admit that I haven't always done it in a God-honoring way when I have chosen to face it. Sometimes I've avoided it. But folks, if there is a plurality of elders leading a Baptist church, 
church discipline can take place in a God-honoring fashion. In a way that could restore a person back into the life of our church. And uh, I'm the first to admit that I haven't done it appropriately at times. A plurality of elders would help us address that issue. And the fourth benefit, practical application for a plurality of elders is there's just multiple eyes, ears, and hearts. I'm only one person. And I only have one perspective, uh, vision of how I see things. And, and God has called, God has gifted men in our church, laymen in our church, who understand the hearts of our people, have listened to the hearts of our people, who have the God-honoring qualifications to help lead this church. And this would greatly benefit Emmanuel. You know, when God calls, pastoring a church is like parenting. And um, parenting, God never intended, meant for parenting to be done by with a single parent. And, and single parents who parent their families, you know the daunting task that is to be try to be two people in one person. It's much more effective if there is a mother and fathering doing the parenting. And that's what God has intended for the local New Testament church. When God called leaders through Paul or Barnabas or Timothy or Titus. They called men who were scripturally qualified to lead. And it's time, church, that we go to this form of government, government, governance. Now that doesn't mean that the elders have ultimate authority in the church. No, the ultimate authority resides in the congregational form of governance. Major decisions the church will be deciding. But the day-to-day, the practical, the, the, uh, the recommendations for vision and decisions that need to be made, need to be entertained by a plurality of godly leaders whom the scripture calls as elders, bishops, or overseers. They're all one office. And so this is what we're proposing in our bylaws. And we're not going to make this decision until people's questions are thoroughly answered. And so we have two informal meetings for you to choose from. You can come to both if you'd like, but the first is 
uh, tonight, 6.30, in room G4. If uh, we need to move to another room, we will. If there's more people to show up. But if you have uh, questions or uh, recommendations, suggestions, based on what you've read in the bylaws, uh, we want to hear from you. The, uh, not all of our ad hoc team is uh, going to be able to be there tonight, but some of them are. But we want to give you an opportunity to share. Same thing's going to take place on Wednesday night at 6.30. Because we want to be prepared as much as possible for the business meeting next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. All right? And based on that business meeting, again, we're not taking a vote next Sunday night. We're just discussing the documents that are before us. Uh, We can make recommendations for changes in those documents. But uh, based on that meeting, it will be determined if we need another business meeting. Um, But we will decide as a congregation, we will vote as a congregation in all three of our morning services on a Sunday, sometime down the road. All right? So... Communication is the key uh, in the decision that is before us. So I want to encourage you to pray, to search the scriptures, know what the scriptures say, and come with your questions so that we can address them. All right? But be praying that we'll have unity among us as we move forward on this matter. Um. And this is not unusual to Southern Baptist churches. As we looked at um, our bylaws and adjusting our bylaws, uh, we gleaned from uh, two churches who have recently made this decision. Valley Baptist in Bakersfield has uh, gone to uh, elder-led congregational form of government, as well as First Baptist Hesperia. So churches are moving in this direction. And uh, again, this is the biblical model in the New Testament. All right? So let's pray. As uh, Well, before we pray, we, uh, we need to pray for our offering. We're going to get ready for our offering now. And um, our missionaries for this weekend are uh, Luis and Carmen uh, Hernandez. Uh, we didn't get a prayer update from them this week. Uh, the language is a little bit of a barrier, but uh, Luis and Carmen have started a new church uh, a new service in California City. So they've got two churches going on, uh, one in Mojave and one in California City. So he's preaching twice on Sunday afternoon. So uh, lots going on with them. So let's uh, remember them as we pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for um, giving us the opportunity to consider um how we can be led uh, in a greater way biblically in the days ahead. And Lord, I know that for many long-term Southern Baptists, uh, this topic is unique and different. But Lord, I pray that you would show us from your word uh, what what your word says about governance uh, Lord you have you have a model you have a purpose in it and 
And Lord, you want us to be unified in in making this decision as a church. So I pray that you would help us to converse. If we have concerns, uh, suggestions, Lord, that we not keep them to ourselves, but we we share them, that we have hearing hearts, and that, Father, as we decide, we decide as one. Lord, we pray for Luis and Carmen. I thank you, Lord, for their um, desire to reach the Hispanic population with the good news of the gospel. God, I pray that you would just give them energy and uh, and and strength in leading the home groups and the services and uh, and Lord, all the all the relational issues that, that go with church. Give him wisdom, Father. But thank you for the opportunity we have to support them in their work and, uh, and Lord, reaching Hispanics for Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to give back to you and your work. God, be glorified through this offering. Help us to be good stewards, Lord, of what you've entrusted to us. And uh, use this to further your kingdom, both here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.